in connection with Lord's Day 44 for this morning, we'll also read 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 to 21. So open up our Bibles and we'll read 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 to 21. So in the previous chapter, Paul just been giving instructions for the church and he continues on in 1 Timothy 6 verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So far the reading from God's word. And then the text for this afternoon is Lord's Day 44 in connection with the Tenth Commandment. A 
That's on page 558 of your book of praise. So question answer 113. What does the 10th commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live, not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image, until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. So Father, reading. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a relatively new word in the English language that goes a long way to define the world in which we live. It is the word upgrade. First used in 1873 to describe the upward grade or slope of a hill, it now refers to exchanging a thing for something better. You can upgrade your mobile phone. You can upgrade your iPad, you can upgrade your PlayStation, your TV, your car, your boat, your house, your caravan, your air flight, your holiday accommodation and your coffee machine. And you can even upgrade your McDonald's meal from regular to large. It seems that whatever you have, whatever you want, there is always something else that is bigger and better and faster. And whatever, whatever it is that you are interested in, there is always something new on the horizon. And from television commercials to billboards to internet and glossy magazine advertisements, your eyes are being opened to the ultimate thing that will fill your heart with happiness, that will make you feel fulfilled, that will leave you feeling content until that is the next good thing comes along. Advertisers call this result of clever marketing strategies. The Bible calls it covetousness. The Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbour's. In other words, be content with the things that God has given you and do not lust after that, which belongs to another. The Tenth Commandment, do not covet, directly prohibits us from lusting after the wife and the possessions of our neighbour. 
But the rest of Scripture teaches us that covetousness is not simply wanting to take that which belongs to someone else. To to covet is to want something so badly that it becomes the thing to die for, the thing that will ultimately make you happy, that will leave you content. But there is only one way to be content, and that is not through lusting after the things of this world, but through the one who delivered us from the vanity of this world, our Lord Jesus Christ. God's word is preached to you as is given to us in the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet under the following theme. Everything I need is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord Jesus is the key to contentment and he is the means to godliness. And the first point, he is the key to contentment. Everyone agrees that to be content is a good thing. When you are filled to your heart's content, then you are satisfied, then you are happy. All is good with the world and you are at peace. But while everyone agrees that it is good to be content, what we do not agree on is how to be content. We may be told repeatedly that money does not buy you happiness, but many people still seem to act and think as though money and possessions are the key to happiness and contentment. And in in addition to the love of money is the desire for popularity, to be recognised as being the best at your game, whether as a football player or a film star or a politician or a businessman. The world's approach to find contentment is to strive and to add. The world teaches you to set a goal and to keep striving until you get there and then you will be content. The world encourages you to get rich, multiplying your wealth, being set up for life and then having the ability to get the latest and greatest of anything that appeals to you. For if you do this, the world promises us, then your desires will be satisfied, and so then you will be content. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that contentment not lies not in the abundance of a man's possessions, nor in his achievements, but in the state of man's heart. In Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But while the Apostle Paul could, at the end of his life, say that he had learned in whatever state he was to be content, for many of us, contentment is a work in progress. We want to say that we are content in every circumstance, but we often struggle with the question whether or not we are really content. So what is the answer? How then shall we view the things of this world? Throughout history, there have been some who take a very negative view of wealth and possessions. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow Jesus, they would say. But while some may be called to give up all their possessions for the Lord and his service... The Bible does not mean to say that wealth and possessions are in themselves evil, nor that a real Christian is a poor one. Bible verses such as 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 teaches us that we may enjoy the good gifts that God gives us. And in that verse it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It is God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so to like nice things is not wrong in itself. To like to have a nice house, nice clothes, a new phone or even a new PlayStation does not necessarily mean that you have sinned. But the question is, is this what you think you need to be content? And are you able to be content whatever your external circumstances might be? Should your life circumstances change in an instance, and it especially those who are in business know how uncertain riches are and how quickly they can disappear in front of your eyes, are you able to echo the words of Job in chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. On the one hand, I'd like to say, yes, I have learned to be content. I'm not straining for that which I do not have. And if I lose the things that I do have, that would not matter too much to me. But on the other hand, I struggle. For our identity is so quickly and so firmly bound up in our possessions. And the world encourages us in this. A house is not just four walls and a roof. It is your castle. And the better the house, the more you have made it. And doesn't it sound so much better to say, I own a home in a nicer suburb, than I'm run renting a house in a rundown suburb? A $10 timepiece might serve as a watch, but if you wear one that costs thousands, it somehow makes you a different person. Or so the advertisements in the in-flight magazine would like to convince you. As would the right shoe, the right brand of clothing, the right perfume. These things are promised to change us, make us better, more attractive, more important. And one other thing that wealth does is it tempts us to be haughty, to be proud. Wealth means that other people will serve us rather than we serve them. They will be there to massage your back, to paint your fingernails, to shampoo your pets, to wash your feet. Wealth encourages you to find your sense of importance and your feeling of contentment in the things it provides. And that is how the world grabs us. Just as our Lord Jesus was brought up on a high mountain, was shown all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, was tried to be tempted by Satan who said to him, All these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. So you are being shown the kingdoms of the world and all their glory through the television, the internet and your own big wide eyes. And through it all, the devil, the world and your own flesh is whispering to you. All these things can be yours if you desire them enough, if they become your object of worship. And just imagine what they can make you. And so we feel the seductive pull of ungodly desire of what the Bible calls covetousness. The word to covet has the meaning of to desire greatly. It is to crave for something that you don't have or that you want more of. Now the 10th commandment does not say that all coveting is wrong. To the contrary, there are many good desires. To desire food and drink, a house and clothing, love and respect is in itself good. 
to desire to be in God's house, like this afternoon, to desire righteousness and to desire God's law is very good and God wants this from us. We may covet a closer relationship with God. We may covet someone's prayers. We may covet our husband, our wife's love and attention. But desires become evil when we lust after the things that God does not give to us and when we hanker for something that would not help us in our love for God and our neighbour, but turns us away from them. And that can be a neighbour's wife, his ox or his donkey, but it can be also be all other sorts of other worldly things. An athletic body, health, being the top salesman in the office, or even a boyfriend or girlfriend. When we, comfort, when we covet something in a sinful way, we begin to long for that thing to the point that we, are, we think we are missing out on life if we don't have it. When we covet something, we will want it even though it could poison our relationship with God or with our neighbour. To covet is to want something so badly that it becomes the thing to die for. It becomes the driving force in our lives. And when that happens, what we effectively do is we exchange our love for God, for our desire for the thing or the person or the position that we so desperately want. Yes, you may still confess your love for God and you may still be coming to church, but what you have effectively done is to remove God from his throne. And make the object of your desires the thing that you so badly want, the thing around which your life resolves. And that is why the Bible calls covetousness idolatry, worshipping another God. Paul calls it this in Colossians 3 verse 5, where he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, that's why God commands us not to covet. The sin of covetousness might not register as being very evil in the world or even by our standards, but in God's eyes, the sin of covetousness is the same as the sin of idolatry, of having another God before him. Now, I want you to be clear about what I'm saying here. There's nothing inherently wrong with wealth and there's nothing inherently wrong with getting your back rubbed or your toenails painted. God has given the things of this world to enjoy and so material things in and of themselves are good. To excel in your work, to work hard and see your business grow, to prudently save and then build or buy a beautiful house is good. To be poor is not in and of itself a more godly state to be in than being rich, and money is not the root of all evil. But what is the root of all kinds of evil is the love of money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 and 10, where it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It has to do with your life's direction, the career path you choose, the job you have, the place you live in, the friends you are attracted to, your life's dreams and goals, 
the way you currently spend your time and your money. What do these things say about you and your heart? You cannot serve God and mammon money, but how easy is it to fall into the trap of trying to serve both? So where are things at with you? Does your heart's desire, your yearning for contentment, tempt you to sin? Does your heart's desire, whether that be riches or prestige or success or relationship or anything else, does it pull you away from our Lord Jesus Christ? Does it lead you to trust him less? And when you do not get what your heart is craving for, does it cause you to despair? Does the bottom completely fall out of your world? What is it? Or, what sh- or should we say, who is it that is the key to your contentment? The Catechism already told us the answer to that question in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death, that I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the key to your contentment. It is when you belong to him, living in him and through him and for him that your life will be full and you will be content. Hunger and thirst for him, live for him alone. Set him as your highest joy and you will rest content in him. And so as answer 115 of Lord's Day 44 teaches us, turn to God, turn to his Lord and turn to his word. Get a right view of yourselves and be humble and ask God to forgive your sins and grant you the righteousness that is yours in Christ Jesus. Pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit and strive not for the things of this world, but to be renewed more and more after God's image, to live for him and for his glory, taking delight in his presence, for that is what you were created to do and what you have been redeemed to do. And then you too will see that everything that you need is in Christ Jesus. In him you'll find rest for your souls and in him you will be content. We come to the second point. He is the means to godliness. When Jesus Christ is the key to your contentment, when you find your peace and life in him, that will change the way you live. You will no longer be living for yourself nor will you be living for and chasing after the vain things of this world. But you'll be living for Christ, desiring to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what Lord Day 44 teaches us when it says in answer 113 of the Catechism that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But how can you live this new life? How can you be focused on Christ when the devil, the world and your own flesh are trying to pull you away from him? The fact of the matter is that of yourselves and in yourselves, we can't do this. Answer 114 says, In this life, even the holiness holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience in other words the godliness that the lord requires of us just isn't there we already confess that in lord's day 24 where it says the righteousness which can stand before god's judgment 
must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. We continue to be tripped up and trapped up by the things of this world, even though we know for a fact that everything we need is in our Lord Jesus Christ and that he is our highest joy, we still find ourselves casting wistful glances at the things of this world. We do not always hate sin in the manner that we should and we do not always delight to do that, what is good. But that is not all there is to say because what we could not do, Jesus Christ has done for us and therefore there is still a pathway to perfection, not through the law, the Ten Commandments, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the means to godliness. It is through him that we, his children, are declared righteous before God and it is through his Holy Spirit that you will grow in him, in all godliness and righteousness. And it is in him and through him that your covetous desires for things of this world will fade away and you will want to live a life of godliness with contentment. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. As answer 115 of the Catechism points out, it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, makes us holy, who fills us with the ability to love God with all our heart, finding our delight in him alone. It is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit whom he sends me that my heart is changed and my mind is conformed more and more according to the image of God. It is not an upgrade that he is offering you, but a new life in our Lord Jesus Christ and a new way of life, a life that starts with a changed heart and a new direction, a life that gives freedom, true freedom from the shackles, the discontent and the covetousness of this present life and in its place the promise of true contentment as you find rest for your souls in him. And so... Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey his commandments. Take delight in him. Not as a way to godliness, but as a way to live in the godliness that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in him and live for him. And you'll find everything that you need. Truly is the, your Lord Jesus Christ and our Saviour as the one true path to eternal life. Amen.